It is my great uh, pleasure to introduce uh, this morning's speaker, um, uh, Dwayne Walton, who leads, um, who's the executive director at the Parksburg Point. Uh, the Parksburg Point is a nonprofit Christian organization that works with uh, kids uh, who are at risk uh, in the city of Parksburg, uh, and they do some amazing work uh, in caring for both families uh, and the teenagers there. Uh, Dwayne and I have a lot of great stories uh, to share. Uh, one day, uh, Kristen was visiting another church, uh, and she came home, and she said, I said, how was church? Uh, and she was, was great. Man, you should hear Dwayne preach. He's a good preacher. I said, thanks, hon. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for the love. Uh, so, uh, Dwayne, uh, please come and share what God has laid on your heart, and, and bless our church. Morning, church. It is uh, always a blessing to join a church on a Sunday morning. Um, I grew up in New York City, and I got saved on a basketball court. And never would I have imagined the blessing of engaging God's people from all backgrounds and, and communities. And so, one of the great blessings of my life is being able to um, have the opportunity to meet with uh, members from different churches and share what God has laid in my heart. So thank you for having me. Johnson, thank you uh, for our friendship. We've known each other for about 12 years. Um, one of our board members was a member of one of the churches he pastored in Chester County. Um, and meeting Johnson was very interesting because uh, Johnson, as you know, he's from India. Um, and the culture I'm from is predominantly Indian culture. Um, and so although we're from two different parts of the world, I'm from South America, Guyana, he's uh, from India, we had so much in common. It's like talking to a brother. Um, but what we have in common really is Christ Jesus. And I, I just thank you so much for our friendship. Our families love each other. And again, thank you for this opportunity. As mentioned, I'm the executive director of a community center. And the idea behind our community center is to address this issue. I mean, many uh, in churches will notice that there's not a lot of young people in church. In the past, families took their kids to church and things started to shift a little bit in our culture where parents started to stay home, but sent their kids to Sunday school. And of course, that was just the beginning of a new trend where the kids would stay home rather than go to church. But the Lord calls us to share the gospel, and he calls us to reach out to people. Um, and so we have to find a way to bridge the church to young people. In uh, rural communities and inner city com communities, you'll find a lot of churches all over. In fact, churches can saturate a community but yet the gospel is missing. And so we have to go beyond just having buildings in communities, and we have to have real outreach ministries, and that's what we are. Um, another example of this is, um, if you remember, in many years ago, churches would do door-to-door -door evangelism or street evangelism, and that doesn't happen much anymore um, for, for good reason. Um, people are ra rather have their faces in their phones than to talk to you. Even as they're walking around the street, I've seen a video of a lady in a mall that was on her phone and she's just walking, walking until she fell into one of those uh, little uh, pools. So people aren't really engaging each other anymore. And, you know, the door-to-door -door evangelism, when you knock on the door and announce yourself to, you know, you have kids come up to the door and tell you that nobody's home. So churches have a, <laughs> the work cut out to, uh, for us to be able to minister to our communities effectively. And so what's happened in the last 30 to 40 years is that we've done what we've called um, mega churches and seeker friendly services. 
where we felt if we build it, they will come. And unfortunately, that has not resulted in a net increase of new believers. What it's resulted in is many smaller churches, uh, people leaving those churches to join the larger churches, but not necessarily new uh, souls being saved. And so the point, is that, which is a community center, says how can we partner with local churches to engage the community with the gospel? So our center is 33,000 square feet. We have gymnasiums. We have a, ca a cafeteria that will feed about 100 students at a time. Uh, we have academic programs and classrooms. We have a chapel. And what we do every night, a different church is on site. Uh, we believe in partnering with our churches. Um, the, the parachurches can accomplish a lot, but it's the local church that God has ordained uh, to carry his word and his message. And so every night a different church is on our site and they'll minister to the community through feeding them, through supporting students academically. Once we reach the parent, the students, it becomes easier to reach the parents. Because when you can be a blessing to a child, parents are more open to listen to whatever message you have. And so that's what we've been doing since 2003 and Johnson and, um, and the different churches he's ministered uh, to has been a part of our program. In those years of working with families in the communities, we found that there is a, uh, a pattern of, of families that we work with. 90% um, of our families are economically disadvantaged. Um, the same number actually coincides with fatherless households. We have 90% of our kids are growing up without fathers in the home. Now, the fathers are in their lives, they just aren't in the homes with them. And of course, you can imagine, there's some challenges that you might experience. And so when I look at scripture, I find that the story of Hagar parallels many of the stories of the families we work with. And I want to share with you um, the story of Hagar as a way to remind us of what it means to outreach to those who are marginalized in our community. The reality is someone like Hagar, who is at the bottom rung of her society, is someone who God sees and God hears. And it's a reminder to us as believers that we must have our ear open to their needs. Um, when, if you turn to chapter 21 in the book of Genesis, and I think the passages may be up here, we'll start with looking at uh, one reality from Hagar's life, is that she's a woman without a history. Now, why is this important to note? Um, the story of Hagar is nestled in the greater story of Abraham. We know the story of Abraham. We know the call of Abraham. We know the importance Abraham plays in God's plan of salvation. He promised Abraham that his descendants will be a blessing or his seed will be a blessing to the nations. Now, as Christians, we stand and we re recognize that that seed is Jesus Christ. But Abraham is called, even in the New Testament, the father of our faith. But there's a story of someone else nestled in his greater story that often gets ignored. And that's the story and the plight of Hagar. And it's the reality that her story gets ignored that should make us worried that maybe we're ignoring others in our own modern society that have similar needs. Now, though we ignore uh, Hagar, God does not. And that's what I hope to show in this, uh, this passage. So again, we begin by uh, realizing that she's a woman without a history. Now, Hagar's story is that she began in Egypt, and Abraham is in Egypt, and Abraham purchases her. She's a servant. Um, that's a softer way of saying a slave. Um, in that world, uh, slavery was a economic, a part of the economy of that world. They weren't developed economically like we are, where people can go and get a job. In fact, for women, 
uh, unless you were either married or a servant, there was not many options for you. But in no time does the Bible uh, accept slavery as the right way to run an economy. Uh, but because she is uh, someone that we often ignore, we don't really look at her plight and sympathize with her. She's a woman without a history. Let's look at what it says in verse 9 and, uh, and 10. It says this, but Sarah, the son of, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now Sarah is also a hero of our faith. And so it's very difficult for us to look at these passages and see it for what it is. Here, Sarah is mistreating Hagar. Now, if you remember the story, God promised Abraham that his descendants will be uh, so numerous that you won't be able to count them, as numerous as the stars in the sky. And after a while, Abraham realizes that he doesn't have one son, let alone a multitude that outnumbers the stars. And so he took matters into his own hand, and his wife, Sarah, told him, hey, maybe you should go into my slave uh, servant, Hagar, and have a child with her. Well, he did, and they bore Ishmael. But of course, there's going to be some issues in this family dynamic, and here it is. It says in my uh, translation that hey, uh, Sarah notices Ishmael laughing at Isaac. And so when you read it, it seems like there's some sort of tension between the brothers. But the word that's used in Hebrew actually could be translated playing with. Now, if you go back all the way to the uh, King James Version, I believe it's translated mocking. But it might just be that Sarah is worried that the, the, that relationship that the brothers had, they're so close, will result in her son not receiving the blessings that God has. And that makes sense because the following passages, God has to reiterate to her, no, Isaac will get the blessings. But imagine that you're Hagar and your son is playing with her, his half-brother and that becomes such a tension point in the family that now Sarah wants to kick you out of the home. And look at what she says. Cast out this slave woman. She has no history from Sarah's perspective. She's a nobody. All she is is a slave woman. As I stated before, we don't need to look far to understand God's view on what humanity should look like. In the beginning of the Bible, it says that man was created in the image of God. And we're, we were told to rule for God, not rule each other. So slavery in any form has always been an uh, antithetical to who God is and what his plan is for humanity. But yet Hagar here, her story is nestled in Abraham's, and all she is to Sarah is a slave woman. There's a story in, in, in about American slavery, which, is, which was one of the worst forms. that They call it chattel slavery. It was a group of Africans that were brought over, and they were in chains. And as they disembarked the ship, they looked to what would be a life of slavery and looked back at the ocean. And the, as the story goes on, many of those slaves turned around, walked back into the ocean, and drowned themselves. Um, and if, if we want to know how much, uh, how evil slavery is, let someone call any of us a slave. We get upset. We get offended. I, would love, to, I love serving people. We know we're called to serve. Just don't call me a servant. 
Isn't that interesting? And so here's the story of this woman that is easily ignored, that she is a slave, so much so that she had no choice on whether or not she has children. Abraham and Sarah dictated that to her. She's a woman without a history, but she also is a woman without a home. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. I don't know if any of us have ever experienced uh, the pain of homelessness. It's something that we see often in our center. Families that are evicted, families who are put out, um, mothers who have nowhere to go. Uh, many years, several years ago, there was a bad ice storm. It was so bad that we, were, we got a call from the county and told us to shut down operations early and dismiss the kids before it got too, too bad. And as we're dismissing the kids, getting them out, getting them on the buses to go home, there was a mother who stood at my uh, office door with her son. And we're trying to get everyone out. I said, hey, is there anything we can do? Is everything okay? She says, no. I, we went to our apartment and uh, there was a padlock on the door and we could not get in. Uh, they had been evicted. Now, I don't know what the, the cause of it and many times they, they don't pay rent. Many times they don't take care of the, the homes. Um, but regardless of that, imagine being in that position when the weather is the worst it can possibly be and you have nowhere to go. There's another story of a, a mother who uh, she was a young mother, and uh, today we have a ministry in response to that, a young mother's ministry to help and support these women. Um, well, she's a young mother, and she's on her own, and she has nowhere to go with her daughter. And so what she would do, she would ask us if her daughter can come early to the center, stay there later than every other student to ensure that she has lunch and dinner and whatever's left back. And during that time, this mother would be making calls and reaching out to friends to see if she can take her daughter and drop her off. She just wanted to make sure her daughter had a place to sleep and she would go and sleep wherever she could. There was a church in our community and the pastor uh, caught wind of what was happening and reached out to the mother and was gonna allow the, the, this, this woman to stay at the parsonage um, because it was not being used, but it was warm and it was well taken care of. And when she approached, the pastor approached their leadership of the church, they unanimously said no, they wouldn't do that. Now, I don't know why they said no. It could be the fear of any liabilities that may ensue. It could be the fear of what happens if she refuses to leave. But regardless, here's a situation of a mother that her back is to the wall and there's very few options for her. Now, this is something that is very sensitive to me. When I was 10 years old, my mother became homeless. And it was the most traumatic event in my life. I remember after my mother was homeless, all her, all her stuff was packed in trash bags. That's how she was treated. And it was, and she had to leave. And she tells me of being on the subway in New York City with her bags and of course being looked down upon as she's trying to figure out what she's gonna do next. And I remember I would wait up and look through the window hoping to see her. And after that, at age of 10, I never lived with my mother again. That was the last time I lived with her. But what I'm saying is that homelessness is a real experience. And here, this woman who had nothing to do with her situation in life, she was bought as if she was just property. She was told, you're gonna have a child with Abraham. And when things started to go south, 
she was kicked out. I see this too often. One thing I've learned through science and observation is that women need men to have children with them. I think only once in history was that, uh, that didn't happen with Mary. But oftentimes, it's these women who are left with the responsibility. But not just the responsibility of raising the child, but also all the pain and suffering uh, that comes with that. And then the blame. And this is exactly what's happening in the life of Hagar. She's a woman without a history, and she's also a woman without a home. And of course, this leads to her being a woman without hope. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says this. When the water in the skin, well, let me backtrack a bit. Look at Abraham's response to this situation. It says this, um, and he took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on, on her shoulder along with the child and sent them away. Now, prior to this, we kept hearing about how wealthy Abraham was and how God prospered everything that he did. But yet, when faced with Hagar's plight, his response was anemic. He gave her bread and water and sent her on her way. He could have sent her with a caravan of resources and others to protect her. Now, it could be that Abraham was a man of such great faith that he knew God would take care of her. Or it could be something worse. That like many people, we fail to see and hear what people are going through. And our response is just not really the right response. Maybe Abraham didn't think about how difficult things would be for Hagar. Maybe he was a little upset with Hagar for making things uncomfortable in his own. I don't know. But I do believe that because Abraham is such a, uh, a hero of the faith, we refuse to think that maybe he just didn't care much about this woman. I've seen this also. I've seen a lot of people judge the plight of those who suffer, of the marginalized. I've seen a lot of people, rather than giving real solutions and lending a helping hand, can point to all the reasons why they're suffering, as to say, well, you deserve this. There was a study done several years ago in Chester County, which is one of the wealthiest counties in the nation. And they said if a mother of two who has to rely on some social services to get by, if she was to end all of that reliance on the social services, she would have to work, work uh, a job that pays $25 an hour. That is not an easy feat. In order to uh, provide her own housing, provide daycare, provide transportation for herself, she would have to go from depending on social services and charity to making $25 an hour. That's hard for those who are college educated, let alone for the marginalized. But oftentimes we can make these uh, predictions and we can uh, argue and debate these things in such a way that we just add to the pain of those who suffer. We can blame them for all the pathologies in our society without really supporting them. She's a woman without hope. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. 
Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And she sat opposite him. She lifted up her voice and wept. That's hopelessness. That's pain. The greatest, the fear of a parent is to have to witness the death of their child. It's very sensitive. And I don't know if there's anyone here who has experienced that. Just recently, two weeks ago, we had to bury an eight-year-old at the center. She was in an accident. Her mother crashed a car, and she passed away. And because we are the closest thing to a church for them, they asked if we would officiate and lead the funeral service. There is no greater pain. And this is the experience of Hagar. She's witnessing what she thinks is going to be the death of her child. But imagine this woman's life up to this point. You know, there's a lot of people whose situation you can track back to bad decisions that they made. There's others that you can track back to bad decisions that others made. There's people's suffering that you can take them back to a sin that they committed. And there's others that you could take it back to a sin that someone else committed that let, down, let them down that path. And here she is with the deepest suffering of her life. Not only does she has very little resources, not only is she homeless, but to add to that the pain of losing a child. She has to look at that. We had a young lady who in February passed away at 28. When she was 15, her mother abandoned her and her siblings. And she came to us and she said, hey, can you guys find a home for me? I need a, somewhere to live. And we did. It's an African-American girl. And there was a family in our community that owned a funeral home. And they were the only ones that would take her in. So you imagine how challenging that was for her <laughs> to move into a funeral home. But they were willing to give her a place to live. And that relationship grew. And she was like a daughter to them, unfortunately. A lot of medical issues since we met her. She was always sick because by the age of 15, she didn't go to the doctors much. Poverty will do that to you. Now, we have the debate about health care in this country. And that's a debate that's going to rage on for a while. But rather than just the political theories, let's talk about the people who children never get to go to a doctor. So it caught up with her at 28. But during that time, we saw the Lord formed in her, was even able to send her off to college. But in 2013, we had an event where we invited Dr. Ben Carson to be our keynote speaker. And Dr. Carson is probably one of the greatest Americans and an accomplished man, super intelligent, and a good communicator. But this young lady stood on the same stage with him, and she gave her perspective on life. She talked about what God has done in her life, but I have her speech still, and part of it, she says this. She says, our parents don't abandon us because they hate us. Sometimes they abandon us because they can't look at us suffer anymore. And we have to be careful that we allow people to get to the point where they abandon their children because the suffering is too great. 
Now, this is sensitive to me. My mother had me at the age of 15, and she was told to abort me. But she didn't. She wasn't met with praise and congratulations for making that tough, hard decision. She was met with ridicule and verbal and emotional abuse. My family immigrated to the United States, and in 1986, my mother, by that time, she had another child, my sister. We lived in a basement apartment with 11 others, with total 11 of us, and it was a small basement apartment in Brooklyn, New York. And my mother and my sister and I, the only space we had was in the boiler room. About four years ago, my mother called me, and she was crying. She said, do you remember the night when I took you and your sister and I put your coats on? It was cold. And I was taking you up those basement steps. She said, I was going to go to the subway and throw myself on the tracks with you because this life was too cruel. And I didn't want to leave you guys in a cruel world. That's hopelessness. But that's the situation that many are in. This morning, I read a news story. I grew up in New York, so there's a story of a mother who threw her two-month-old out of a window. And then her son, who was older, and then she jumped out the window. That's an evil act. But I was surprised by the responses of the neighbors. The neighbors said she just needed help. No one can justify what she did. But you understand how some people are taken to a place of hopelessness. Do they just want to escape? This is Hagar. Why is it that, that we don't focus on this story? You see, when God reveals himself to Hagar the first time, he says, Hagar, I want you to know that I see. That's because most of her life she's unseen. Most of her life she's ignored. She's a woman without a history, a woman without a home, and a woman without hope. But she also is a woman that God hears. It says this in verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you? What a question. What troubles you? There's a lot in that small passage. One, God has good ears, doesn't he? And he's often listening to those that we aren't listening to. Notice that he hears the boy, even though she's the one crying. We know what that's like as parents. Have you ever seen your child suffer, get sick? We cry more. I remember as a kid, when I was being disciplined, they would say, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I never believed it. But now I have two children, and I know exactly how that feels. Sometimes we cry for them. Sometimes we cry out for them. How many of you have been up late praying for your child when they're out? You don't know what they're doing. I believe God hears our children through us. You know, there's a passage of Scripture that says that when we don't know what to say, when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays for us. Could it be? 
that when our children don't know what to say, when our children don't know how to pray, we pray for them. And God hears them through us. The angel of God, and if you read theology, they'll say that that is a Christophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus. He shows up. What troubles you? Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? Because throughout the New Testament, he's always asking questions. But he already has the answer in mind. She's, a, she's hopeless. I'm sure she's more concerned about her son than about herself. And look at what the response is. What troubles you, Hagar, before she even answers? Fear not. God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. I was very blessed by the music this morning. Um, I love the hymns. There's just something about those hymns. They're written from a, a perspective and they're written from a deepness that I've, I have challenges finding in modern music and I'm not trying to create a debate. But when we sing those hymns, we assume, rightly so, that God hears. When we worship, we assume that God hears us. This passage tells me he's also hearing other people, those who are not in church, those who right now in their homes are crying out because there's not a lot of food in their cupboards, those who are so frustrated with their situation that there's holes in the walls, those who are so frustrated with their situation that they're arguing and fighting each other. But you know God hears them also. And God has a solution. He says this, up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, important. He hears the boy, he's with the boy. Now, this passage in conclusion, I have some application points, but I want to make a few observations. One, God sees it a lot differently than we do. When Hagar looked at this young boy, she saw someone that's going to die. God looked at him and said, he's going to be the father of nations. In our society, there are those statisticians who can look at numbers and predict outcomes. And when I was young, growing up in New York City, I was told that one in three African-Americans, males, would go through the prison system. That was not just a predicament, that was prophetic. They were telling me what life will be. But I was in a basketball court where they could have predicted with much certainty that I would be, and I was visited by some Christians. And they told me God loved me. They saw something different. What they didn't know, that up to that point, I haven't, hadn't lived with my mother since the age of 10. I witnessed an uncle get murdered at the age of 11. Another uncle was murdered at the age of 12, and my father was murdered at the age of 15. And my life was going in the same direction. 
But when God's people refuse to see what the world sees and see what God sees, they can change outcomes. He told me that Jesus loved me and gave himself for me. I didn't expect to hear that on a basketball court. They introduced me to a man named Willie Branch. And Willie discipled me. You know, that old, archaic term, discipleship. He discipled me because he refused to let the world define what I would be. And when it was time to college, he asked me, have you applied for college? I said, why would I do that? He said, have you taken your SATs? I said, I never had plans to. But I had spent three years with Willie Branch. And uh, he had a vast vocabulary. So much so that I couldn't have a conversation with him without being stumped. So what Willie would do, would tell, he told me to have a book. And I would always take notes of the words that he used. And I had to define them and use them the next day. And I did for three years of discipleship. And so he told me, go take your SATs. I did, and I had the highest score in my school. Then he said, you should go to college. And I said, I had no plans, but if I do go to college, I want to go to a college where I can learn to be like you. God can change outcomes if his people would get involved. Just like the angel saying, you're not seeing a boy that's about to die. You're seeing a father of many nations. And prophetically, that's true. You look at North Africa, you look at the Middle East, that's Ishmael's territory. And God gave them all the oil. <laughs> And right now, they're making a lot of money off the oil. But God sees it differently than we do, don't he? And the reason why is because he hears and he sees, but he, he's powerful. And that's what we need to remember. We don't cause the problems, but we have a responsibility to help to solve the problems. That's what his church is, and that's what we've announced to the world very boldly. We've told the world that we are the people of God. And so if there's anyone that should have hope, it's us. And that hope has to be contagious. And we should be able to go into situations like this, and like the many we have at our center, and we could prophetically say, God has a different plan for your life. And then we can make it happen. Here's a few application points. We are often eager to contribute our speculations on the source of someone's poverty and suffering. Likewise, we're eager to contribute what we think are the best solutions. But we need to really, we need to make real contributions of practically addressing the problems. What do I mean? If you watch the news, there's always someone telling us why someone's in the situation they're in. And if you look at different channels, you'll see that there's different sources of why they believe. And then there's always these other solutions. And one news source will say, this should be the solution. And the other says, that should be the solution. That's fine. That's all theory. The reality is that we have to practically be there for people. That's what the church has always been. Regardless of what we think is the cause, regardless what's the best approach in society, there's going to be people that need us just to be there for them. Sometimes we don't know why people end up in the situations that they're in. That's why it's important to be humble, loving, and supportive. Imagine if we met 
Hagar in the wilderness with a dying son. We probably look at her and say, what a bad mother. She left and abandoned her son under a tree. What we wouldn't know is what happened a few days prior. We didn't know the story of her life. We didn't know that she was in Egypt as a servant and was purchased. So we have to be very careful how we approach people in the midst of their suffering and always have to be humble and loving as we support them. God heard the cries of Ishmael, and we need to have our ears open to the cries of those who loudly and silently suffer among us. Loud suffering looks like destroyed communities. They'll tell you. You go, I grew up in the inner city in Brooklyn, broken windows, trash everywhere. And sometimes we just look at all just bad people. Yeah, there's some of that. A lot of it is just them crying out. Someone told me this and it's very profound. He says, children aren't looking for attention, they're looking for connections. Connections is a lot deeper than attention. Connections makes you vulnerable. Imagine getting too involved in the lives of some of these families that are suffering. We have to hear those who silently suffer. I'm almost done. I, recently, one of the young men in our center got in trouble because he was very aggressive towards one of our male staff. Male staff said, "All I told, I just told him to do something, and he just responded in anger. Brought him into my office, and he's sitting at my desk, and he's just upset. And I said, hey, what's going on? What troubles you? <laughs> and he wouldn't talk. But I knew a little bit of his story. I said, it's your father, isn't it? And he fell to the ground in my office in a fetal position and wept for 15 minutes. See, his dad was in prison. His dad was taken away from him just like that. Should be in prison, but that doesn't change the pain of that young man. So sometimes when we do see the violence, sometimes when we do see the anger and the frustration, I think we saw this last summer. Any little provocation was met with riots, wasn't it? And we're right to condemn all sorts of riots. And we're right to address it by imprisonment. But that can't be the only way we address it. Sometimes we have to ask, what troubles you? And what you'll find is deeper, very deep. But God can address that. I was a violent kid. I hated my father. My father was never there for me. And I blamed him for every situation I was in and my mother was in. My mother was homeless. If he had done what he was supposed to do, she would not have been homeless. So I was a kid that was getting in trouble in school. I was getting kicked out of class and all of that. But no one ever asked me, what troubles you? No one ever sat down and just treated me like I was a person. Addressing the needs of people is not an alternative to intentional evangelism. This whole story is about God's revelation to this woman. It's about God creating a relationship with this woman. He even says, I'm the God who hears. Prior to this, he told her, I'm the God that sees. You matter to me. Isn't that what evangelism is? God so loved the world that he gave his son. 
He loves you. As we go out to serve the needs of others, we, we don't have to jettison the gospel. In fact, it's why we go out to reach them. Because God loves them and they need to know about the God who gave himself for them. Finally, we're never going to solve the issue of poverty. But we can help and support the poor person that God sends our way. Sometimes we get you know, almost exacerbated by the, the reality of poverty in our country. We see a government that spends billions on it and it hasn't really solved it. And so we might ask ourselves, what can I do? Well, I don't know if the Lord is telling us to solve the issue of poverty, but I guarantee you'll find people in your life that he sends your way that allows you to solve their challenge at that moment. That's what God has called us to. Let's pray. Lord, it's an honor to serve you in word and be with your people. Thank you for the reminder. Abraham is great. Sarah is great. They're heroes of three faiths. To Jews, the Muslims, and the Christians. Honor them. And so, Lord, it's easy to, for us to ignore Hagar's story, but her story is just as important. At least it reveals to us the kind of God that you are. We know you engaged the Abrahams and the Moseses and the Pauls and the Peter, but we also know that you engage and love the Hagars, the least of these. We also know that you're humble and loving and caring, and you see things differently and you let her know. The Bible says you open her eyes to see the water that was right there at a well. She was so overwhelmed that she couldn't see the resources that was right there. And so there's so many that we engage that they don't see it. And we have to open their eyes. Lord, we thank you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.